Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. Welcome to Home Education Matters and today I am joined by Claire Johnson and we are going to be talking about physics and primarily we're going to be looking at physics at key stages three and four because obviously before that it tends to be just a more general science. So today we're going to be focusing primarily on the provision of physics when you home educate. So hello Claire, thank you very much for joining me today and do tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself for our listeners. Hi there. Um, so yeah, so I um, am a teacher I'm a a science teacher or by trade um but I left the classroom in in, um 2021 now and um started my own tuition business last December um so I'm a home tutor I tutor both EOTAS students during the day um and that's often face to face and then I tutor online to home educated students as well, um, mostly for GCSE for maths um, and science. And I also um, just started um, to branch out a little bit, taking on other tutors to do some of my evening provision. So I'm very much the home education um, tutor, but yeah, I had a lot of people asking for, for tuition outside of was that I'm working with a young family so um they have to come first obviously um my degree is actually in physics so I'm a proper physicist uh did it while working so I did my degree with Open University um while working full-time as a HR manager which is not like teaching at all and then I went traveling around the world backpacking and um, had my daughter and I've gone into teaching because of the holidays really and being able to spend more time with my daughter so that's kind of where the career change came in. What moved you from teaching into tuition then? I love it was the workload um, I'd also uh, taught abroad so we used to live in Spain um, and I taught there in a in a British school overseas so I think we had we had students from all over the world. We had a lot of Russian students, but all over Europe um, and Asia. So I was kind of with a lot of different cultures uh, and I had a lot of autonomy and kind of teach the way I really felt that students benefited from. And that was really, really, really nice. And then when we moved back to the UK, I kind of felt it disillusioned, teaching a chain lot. Um, it was a very corporate feeling. Um, and and I found that a little bit difficult to get back into, I think. And and also there was a fallout from all the pandemic. There was a lot of students who had real health problems that weren't dealt with well enough because there just wasn't wasn't the pre-planning that you can't plan for a pandemic, can you? So that was another thing that I kind of felt like I could help more by by working on a more one-to-one level with with students rather than in a mainstream environment really. So you found that when you were when you were teaching in the school setting it was very different I'm guessing in the Spanish environment was it to the UK and that when you came back to the UK it felt somehow more constricted is is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, for me it did. I think um, in the Spanish school, I think I felt trusted as a professional more than in the UK and also a lot more respected by the students and the teachers, I think, sorry, the parents. I feel like in a lot of cultures, education is is treated differently to how it is in the UK. Yeah, I don't want to get too political, really, but I do I do feel that it's, um, I think education is really celebrated in a lot of cultures, whereas in the UK at the moment, um, it isn't so much. So you must find that when you're doing one-to-one tutoring, it's a different kind of culture because the parent and the child have both actively sought out tutoring. So they're, they've sort of bought into it more than perhaps they would if they're just in the school system. Definitely. Um, a lot of the time, though, the students that I'm tutoring have come to a crisis point. There's different kinds of, of, of student that I'm kind of tutoring at the moment so those really are probably the EO test ones the ones that really feel like they've been failed by the system and they're they're desperate for help and and they're they're probably looking more at the maths rather than the science they just want to get the maths and English done and be able to to be able to move forward and move on after some quite traumatic experiences within the education system and also trying to fight to get the help that they need and they feel that they deserve. Um, A lot of parents and students have been through years of fighting at that point. So once they've got EOTAS budgets and they feel and they can then access the education, a lot of it is is kind of moving through that trauma. So it's not just a uh, here's the content, let's go through the content. A lot of it is helping break down that trauma of education and trauma of the system and and trying to rebuild that trust again and and then of course the the content comes afterwards but we have to really treat the treat the person as an absolute individual at that point um and and really focus on their needs um but then we have the elective home educated um students who have taken me on board for a completely different reason and so I have to treat those completely differently to how I would with the EOTAS students um, and then the students who are mainstream as well so if I'm if I'm tutoring revision on a as a booster class before the exams that's another completely different thing but you're right they've already bought into the idea of tuition um, and it's really rewarding actually because I can focus on on that child completely and what their needs are and I can assess using my teaching skills kind of what they need at that point and then really progress them and um, even within the small groups they tend to progress very quickly. How important Mm -hmm. is it that um, there's a practical element that runs alongside the theory and how do you how do you work with that when you're when you're tutoring home educated children? It's think it's it can be difficult I think some students really don't want any practical they just want to know the information want to know what they've got to learn to put into an exam and and that's the end of it um but actually most of the students that I've got really do enjoy the practical and they tend to like quietly chuckle to themselves if I say that oh we're going to do a practical today you can just see their their eyes light up and and that kind of silent chuckling like yes what are we going to get today um it just takes a little bit more 
organization in that you need to be able to prepare the parents first of all because they and especially with online is that you need to to have the equipment there ready so I still think it's really important because we we assimilate knowledge in different ways don't we and to do something that's a bit more kinesthetic and where you're touching things and feeling things and seeing things you tend to remember those experiences more than just a repetitive routine kind of lesson as I say if you a little bit creative and get online and have a look at other people's ideas and steal ideas as much as you can when it comes to practicals there's some brilliant things on Pinterest and um, YouTube and the home ed community is amazing for for their collaboration with each other and you know the ideas that they share with each other so there's there's so much you can do for for science at home that um, with a little bit of forward planning you can you know send an equipment list um, I always feel that I need to kind of go a little bit overboard with the safety. So I will kind of say, you know, he'll be using a kettle. So please make sure that it's a safe environment and that you're around in case there's any issues and that he knows what to do if if he burns himself or anything like that. But then also I do say he won't be doing anything more difficult than making a cup of tea, though. So <laughs> just to put things into perspective. You know, and a lot of the practicals are, are fun, like we can do chromatography practicals at home and um, convection currents. I mean, we won't be using potassium permanganate, but you can get those dental disclosure tablets, which work just as well. So there's lots of different things you can do um, and still kind of have fun and have that practical experience. And then I'm, especially for GCSE with the set practicals, I would say, well, I know we've done it this way so that you can see the effect, but in the exam, this is the equipment that you would use. This is what the diagram looks like. And, and we just talk it through. The other thing as well is setting things for homework. So, I mean, I have done practicals with water around a laptop before, but if it's something that's going to be dangerous or could could cause something to be damaged, just me talking through it or showing a video or me modeling it and then setting up for homework um with an instruction sheet it can be done um you just have to try and find a way to make these things work yeah and I, I did a very interesting podcast about the Charlotte Mason approach and it was actually I think it was called something like the Charlotte Mason approach through through exams or through the exam period because I know that the the expert that I talked to there the Charlotte Mason expert said that she taught her children their GCSE sciences almost solely through practicals so they would do these practicals and they would talk all about the the sort of theory behind the practicals and there's no doubt that it is a really nice routine you know you mentioned about how the child responds when they know that it's going to be like a practical that lesson and it reminded me of when I was at school and they would wheel in the tv that's how old I am <laughs> they would wheel it in on a trolley and and you can sense that kind of palpable excitement that oh yeah it's a tv lesson and it's very much yeah. like that with practicals isn't it yeah and it was even more special when the teacher before had forgotten to rewind the video and you knew you had about three minutes of chatting to your best mate about what we're going to do after school <laughs> that is so true I remember that too <laughs> so talking about practicals I'm guessing that just for our listeners that's why 
um, we as home educators do the international GCSE or the IGCSE as opposed to the GCSE. So just tell us a little bit about the differences between the GCSE and the IGCSE when it comes to physics. There's not much difference when it comes to the content. Um, I will say I'm I'm only familiar with the Edexcel, the Pearson IGCSE. Um, tutored Cambridge once but not for physics that was just as combined science so for physics itself um probably just talking about the the Pearson Edexcel IGCSE um so yeah content wise there isn't much difference um there's a few topics that are on the GCSE that aren't on the IGCSE um or subtopics really so things like lenses um are on the GCSE but not on the IGCSE. Um up thrust comes up in the GCSE rather than the IGCSE, but each GCSE is slightly different. So OCR, AQA, um, and Edexcel, they all have slight differences in their content. So as a science teacher or or a specific um, if you have a, a specific science that you teach, you are quite used to when you move schools adapting to the content that you teach anyway. So I think it's really important that for somebody that's home educated, if they're looking um, at doing a GCSE, that even then the resources that you're using, make sure that they are compatible with the the board that you're using because of these slight differences in content. But the general content will be almost the same for all of them. It is just these kind of sub parts of the, the specifications that are different. It's more about the way that it's examined that's different. So for the IGCSE, there's two exam papers, like most of them do have two exam papers. But the practical element is um, examined through the papers rather than an exam centre signing off to say that you have completed the practical side of things. So you need to be really good at um, describing methods, um, analysing results, being able to do a mean from a table, from data, um, drawing a graph, and all of these things that are assessed. And a lot of those skills are also still assessed in the GCSE as well. Um, but because the the set practicals are not assessed by the exam centre or signed off by the exam centre, then we really they are kind of assessed in detail with the IGCSC. So you need to know those assessed practicals or um, required practicals really well. Um, so I would definitely spend time on on those. Um, the other thing is. With the GCSE, they tend to do half of the content assessed in paper one and then the second half of the content assessed in paper two. So you revise half of the amount of stuff, um, dump it all on the paper for, for paper one and then do the second half of your specification and learn that for paper two. And with the IGCSE, it's not that simple. You need to know all of your content for paper one almost and then all of your content for paper two as well. So, sorry, what's the differentiation then between the two papers? So paper one is used for both the combined science, which is called double science for Edexcel, 
and the physics students. And then this paper two is only done by the ones that are doing ITCSE in physics, not the ones that are doing combined science. So it's harder so physics? It's not necessarily harder. It's not meant to be harder. It's just different content. So um, what would happen is you, you're not allowed to do the combined science route and the physics route. They're, they're combinations that aren't allowed to go together. So you need to make a decision. Are you going to go and do combined science or are you going to do the sciences separately? And if you do separate sciences, you can choose to do all three, biology, chemistry and physics, or you could just choose one or you could choose your two favourite. And a lot of home educated um, students that I've got, they a lot of them do just pick two that they like or pick the one that they like. Um, so that's quite nice. It gives you that choice. Um, with the combined science, you've got two routes as well. You can either do just a single award science or you can do a double award science. So they're all assessed to the same level. So they're all grades one to nine achievable in in all of them, all of the papers. But um, it's different content. So a single science will have less content than the double science. And then the double science has less content than the separate sciences. Okay. Um, and, and when it comes to the two papers for physics, um, the EdXL, the EdXL, uh, which, which to be fair, most home educators do, is the EdXL, mm -hmm. IGCSE, the discrete sciences, like the individual sciences. I don't know much about the Cambridge specification. Is there a big, is there a big difference? Do you know? I've only taught the Cambridge combined science and there wasn't much of a difference um I did find that the questions the the level of English within the questions I found a little bit more difficult so I felt I was with my international school at the time I felt that it was a little bit harder to access the paper and harder for the science to be assessed because a lot of the students would trip over the the language in the question I've so, heard that with Cambridge, actually. I've yes. heard that and I've experienced that with Cambridge IGCSE papers is that the actual wording of the questions is not always, it's a bit more opaque sometimes. When yeah. it comes to the two different papers, you have paper one, which is two hours, is it? Yeah, two hours, and then, and mm -hmm. 110 marks. So normally say about one mark per minute. So it doesn't give you that much time to check your answers and things like that. It's quite a fast paced paper. There's a lot in there. And what about paper two? Paper two is an hour and 15 minutes and that's 70 marks. Yeah. And that, so that sounds like it's short, intense, sort of like. Yes. Yeah, it is. Um, a lot of a lot of students like the paper one and they kind of feel comfortable with the content they feel um, although it's longer, it's it's quite doable. And then they get to paper two and they do find paper two harder. Um, I do think some of it is the content. As I said, it's not meant to be harder content, but, but students do tend to find the topics that are on paper two only a little bit harder. You've got things like static electricity, which um, students can struggle with the the explanation part of that. Um, then you've got things like momentum and moments and 
they can be tricky if you make a mistake in a moment's question and it's a difficult one near the end of the paper then it you know it can throw someone um so it is demanding um but but physics itself i think it is a demanding course but it's it's a very rewarding course as well that, um, actually I, I was going to ask you that but but before i do do you think that paper one and paper two assess different skills? Because I know, for example, in something like history, which obviously is very different, you have paper one, which is more like analysis, then you have paper two, which is source work. And with obviously with languages, you have reading papers and listening papers. Is it different skills that are assessed in the two different papers? Or Because it doesn't sound like the content is hugely different. No, it's, it's not. I think um, it is pretty much the same skills in both papers so you'll have different types of questions so multiple choice explanation data um but the the actual skills assessment kind of throughout both papers is pretty much the same um it is just that you've got that content that's just for the the separate science physics that's assessed in paper two but they still do the different skills throughout that so you'll have some data analysis you might have a graph there's some application of the science knowledge um so so yeah I would say that that both papers skills wise are pretty much the same okay um and so that leads me on to the question that I was going to ask you about where physics fits in with the other sciences because obviously there's four sciences that home educators can sit and I normally put biology down as maybe the one that has the most memorizing but not and the least maths I tend to put chemistry down as quite high maths but not hugely difficult I have physics I'm trying to do these in order I have physics then as difficult and maybe one you would want to do later and then I have astronomy which has from what I can gather the hardest maths but the funnest content. <laughs> okay, so this is this is a complete layperson's approach to science. It's based on my son did all four, so I'm trying to like think of uh, think of how they <laughs> panned out. So would yeah. would you say that physics fits in towards the harder end of sciences? Um, this is a difficult question for me to answer because I am a really strong advocate for physics not being hard. Um. I think the course is demanding, um, but I think the I think we need as a society to try and break down this whole barrier of physics being hard or physics only being for um, for intelligent people or for clever people because actually physics is used by people for, by adults all the time and they don't find it hard in their real life. I think. I really am a an advocate of physics is for everybody. So um so I, trying to answer the question without kind of backtracking on my own kind of ideology there is going to be difficult. But I think yeah, a lot of students probably do find that there is a lot more maths in the physics, but if you can rearrange an equation or a formula in maths, which isn't the highest demand if you think of how many variables you'd have norm most equations in physics have three variables so most people even that are doing a foundation paper can rearrange some an equation or a formula with with just three variables so that means that that's actually most of the maths there is done um if you can substitute into an equation then again most of the maths is done so um 
you know, a little bit on significant figures and rounding throw in there. So a lot of the maths isn't that difficult. What about the concepts, though? Because physics has quite big concepts, doesn't it? It does. And I think if you, I think we need to tackle how we, we kind of look at these concepts from earlier on in in our education because I find that I often have to fix a lot of misconceptions as a GCSE tutor um and that's a lot harder sometimes than if we if we kind of catch students at the right ages um as a home educator I would really look at um a lot of the the kind of work that's been done that's research-based so um, things like stem.org they've got their their best evidence science teaching and that shows how students how children conceptually build their understanding of the world around them and it's fantastic at kind of picking up these um misconceptions that that students have and that really does help break down a lot of the the conceptually difficult things because you can really work and and understand them in a different way and that's that's really some really really good research that's been done there um the institute of physics um has has often kind of if you follow them on twitter or um their facebook pages and things they often bring out things as well that that are quite helpful that are more physics based um and and i know they're also very much at the moment a physics for all so there's a lot of if you're interested in that there's a lot of um work being done by them um especially this year um but yeah it's i would actually say that that's the most that's where i'd put most of my work if i was starting my physics journey um in kind of with the idea of having a a gcse in physics i would spend more of my time worrying about how do i understand the concepts within physics and how do I explain those to another person who might not understand those concepts in physics if you can do that that would be a lot more beneficial than spending hours worrying about equations because although equations is a a big part of the marks I suppose it is one kind of skill or a couple of skills that we're just repeating so as long as you've got the maths behind you that bit's not too difficult but you've got to be able to understand the physics to enjoy the content really um and if you enjoy the content then you can can pass your GCSE and what about a level what are the options for people that want to go on and do a level physics from home so you can do the international a level so you could do that as the um as or the a level um which the Edexcel IGCSE that leads on to the A level, um, the international A level, and it's a it's a good preparation for that. So, um, I mean that that was that was definitely more my mum's actual territory and my old school. We're both physics teachers, so um, so yeah, um, she's she's definitely the one to speak about that. Sorry, I've been interrupted. I've got my four-year-old here. <laughs> Sorry about that. No worries. <laughs> yeah. 
I have one last question that I wanted to ask you, and that was about the move from GCSE to IGCSE, because I, you mentioned that um, with all the specifications and then with GCSE versus IGCSE, that there was a, a, a slight difference in content, but you implied that there wasn't a drastic difference. So for a lot of um, a lot of home educators, there's a number of resources online for GCSE sciences that maybe aren't available for IGCSE sciences. And a lot of people, they want to make, they know that they want to prepare for the IGCSE, but the cheap and the easy resources are there for GCSE. So at what point would you recommend that they make a jump from GCSE to IGCSE before the exam? Like what, how much time would they need to cover that little bit of additional content that isn't covered um, with the GCSE resources, for example? I don't think it would take that much, but really I would probably start, if I knew that I was going to take the IGCSE, I would plan my curriculum based on the IGCSE from the start, because I think the way the specification is written, it helps you to see whether the links are going to be made between one part of the specification and another part of the specification. So I would definitely kind of, Say if you you were going to do topic one on forces and motion, I would find out what's on the specification for the IGCSE. And then for each specification point, then go and borrow that information from the GCSE stuff that's available, definitely, because a lot of it, you know, the physics isn't different. Um, but just being able to organize it in your mind and in your way, in your brain, in the way that the IGCSE is organized would be much more helpful because even though the content's very similar, as I said, there are these sub points of the specifications that are different. So they are just slight differences. Um, the way that they're organized and ordered is very different. So um, OCRs kind of starts with um, the model of an atom, whereas, you know, that's not even in the IGCSE. So, we, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even kind of waste time learning content that isn't on the specification. Um, I would just focus on on what the IGCSE has. Yeah, that's good advice. So you would recommend printing off the specification for the IGCSE and then saying, okay, topic one is forces and motion. Let I can then find a GCSE resource that deals with forces and motion. And then you'd go on to the next thing on the on the IGCSE specification and then look for a resource based on that, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I wouldn't necessarily teach the IGCSE in order. Um, I would do it by topic if possible. But for instance, in in my groups, I do tend to to move around a little bit differently because I personally feel that um, say momentum and moments are put next to each other on the IGCSE specification, and I find that students then muddle them up because they sound similar but they're they do. completely different things so I tend to do momentum and then I'll leave moments and then I'll do moments kind of in a few months time which also gives me chance to revise some of the the forces things I also find that energy um it's topic four in the IGCSE I tend to bring that forward and do that before I do waves which is topic three um just because I find that sometimes within waves, we're talking about energy. If we're talking about, say, the energy of an electromagnetic wave, the students don't really know what I mean by energy. 
So and energy can relate to forces when we're talking about, you know, work done and things like that. So sometimes students get a bit confused. You know, is this force or is it energy? So by teaching them together, I can really distinguish this is the force kind of topics. This is what we're talking about with force. And then this is energy and this is how they can cross over and this is OK. Um, but there's very specific language that we need to use with energy. So it helps kind of develop the forces a little bit more in depth. So I like to do energy after forces. And then the later topics, kind of topic five, some of that you could do very early on, um, the model of the atom, for instance, it crosses over really nicely with chemistry. So you could do that then, or you could leave it in topic five and it's like a revision of, of chemistry. So I, I do kind of leave it in topic five normally myself. Um, if you're doing but, if you're doing physics, is there another science that lends itself nicely to running alongside it? Would you say that it's chemistry? Yeah, I think so. Chemistry. Um, there is this, with the states of matter kind of part. There is quite a bit of crossover in that sense. And with chemistry, you're talking about the energy of a um, reaction and things like that. So that's bond making and bond breaking. There's a bit of crossover there with with the physics um, and then changing states and things like that. So I think physics would kind of do it a little bit differently to the chemistry. But a lot of my students I'll have for chemistry and physics so it, I can link the two and, and kind of say, well, for your chemistry exam, make sure you include these points. For your physics exam, you've got to see it from this perspective and include these points. But it's nice to to be able to revise the other one at the same time um which is good yeah that's really helpful and it's really helpful to get a sense of the that you can don't necessarily have to do the units in a very linear way you can mix them mix them around and do them sort of in an order that feels more logical to you so do you have yeah. any other sort of big tips that you would give to people that are um helping their home educated child do physics at home um i would definitely keep topic six seven and eight till the end because they really are um you can't really do topic six without having done topic two so that's topic six is magnetism you need to understand electricity really and have done a little bit on waves maybe before you can do the magnetism side of things um then topic seven is all your nuclear physics so um so yeah so that can kind of be done a little bit later um, and then the astrophysics in unit eight, that's a lot of that is kind of application of your waves from from unit three. So it's difficult to do that without having done unit three first. So I would leave the last three till later. Um, as for kind of exam kind of technique type things, I would really focus on with the equations as you know I said you know don't don't focus too much on learning equations all the time because that bit's not actually as difficult as as people make out I think the specification has a list of equations that it doesn't give you so they're the ones you need to learn so put them on cards you know learn them at breakfast that bit can be done over you know the period of time that you you've chosen to to study before the, you take the exam you can fit those in and learn those. And if you're practicing using an equation, which you'll need to do, 
then you'll if you're writing out the equation at each point you're practicing then you will learn the equations off by heart anyway because you're overusing them which is good but I think understanding where the equation comes from is the key because for instance if you look at speed equals distance over time and you look at a distance time graph then you can see that the equations come in from the graph and the gradient is the velocity and you can then use the equation to help you work out the units you can use the equation to help you form an explanation you can use the equation in a method so you could if you've been given a method and you need to work out the speed of something you can say right what's my what's my equation okay speed equals distance over time right so I'm going to write about I'm going to measure the distance what would I measure the distance with with a ruler and then what else have I got in my equation oh time I am going to measure the time using a stopwatch so it's it's being able to use the equation as as basically that is your your kind of um what do they call it? your cheat sheet really is if you know all the equations they they give you so much more than oh no it's just an equation I've got to learn it's actually a, a tool that you can use in a lot of the questions if you're doing an explanation write the equation in there and and use it and say well if this goes up then this must go down and you know you can use it in so many different ways so um don't be afraid to use the equations to your advantage I would say um using the command words is so important and this is across the board not just physics not just science but every exam is what is the question asking me to do if it's saying to explain something then you've got to say why that's happening don't just tell me what's happening tell me why it's happening what is it that's making that happen um comparing things as well I think students are and and not so good at at comparing and you know being able to say well this happens whereas you know in this one this doesn't happen so for instance a renewable and a non-renewable energy resource it's it's having that confidence to really analyze and and evaluate the situation and these are your your kind of application skills because 40 percent of your GCSE for physics is going to be about recalling different facts for physics and knowing what an equation for acceleration is knowing the units for momentum these kind of quick recall things but then another 40 percent is how you can apply that and knowing you know how can you can analyze the situation so and I think it's that 40 percent that that students miss out on so if I was to to give you a clue of what to do is really work on that 40 percent that a lot of students just don't have enough experience of so taking the existing knowledge the formulae that kind of thing and then applying it to alternative situations and applying it to different questions definitely so and they do this a lot for say electromagnetism static electricity they'll they'll give you ideas of what they want you to be able to explain so how does a smoke alarm work but then they'll give you a different situation in the exam and they want you to almost say exactly the same thing as it would be for a smoke alarm but for a different situation they want you to be able to recognize that and and be able to use the knowledge that you have and make sensible suggestions of how something completely new 
would work based on the physics that you know. I think that's so useful because I think there's so much of so much of a, the exam paper contains information that is helpful for other questions. Um, yeah. And I see that in so many subjects. And it's interesting you say about command words, because I quite often refer to exams as like a hoop jumping exercise. Well, I see command words as like the instruction manual for how to jump through the hoops. It's it's so vital that you understand what each command words means. And of course, they mean different things sometimes in different exam papers. So just so you know, if you know what describe or explain means in a physics question, it may mean something completely different in a history exam, for example. So command words can mean different things with different specifications and with different subjects as well, right? Yeah, definitely they can. And um, I don't know if if a lot of parents know, but the specification for, for Edexcel, they literally have a list of command words. And um, it's really this is why I like this as a as a specification, because it really is so clear how you can help yourself um, in that in that perspective. I think the hard thing is is probably finding the content, but lots of past paper questions as preparation for the exam would give you enough of a broad range of questions to show how you how they might ask you to apply your knowledge to something else. So that's where I would try and and. I'd use those as resources to to gain the experience in that because you do need to learn the content first and and practice your equations and practice things but the that application really does come later with the practicing of the exam questions. And are there any other resources or YouTube channels or online things that you would recommend that our listeners could use free free resources that they could use to supplement their learning at home? So the I mentioned before the the best evidence science teaching, um, they do have have a lot of free resources and they they help you choose an order. So if I was to go from the start, I would use that to kind of give me an ex, like ideas of the order of teaching, and then the um, specification as well and use that and kind of think well okay I'll I'll do forces first and then I'm going to to do energy and then I'll do waves and then I'll do all that sort of thing um, and it does pick up on those misconceptions however you know that alone would be quite dry and a bit boring and a bit repetitive um, BBC Bite Size is actually really good for science um, for physics as well you might not get it all from say edXL and think there's some topics for instance like the critical angle which is better um going into their a level physics for some of that um and the wjec board um and sometimes the scottish boards uh, are a little bit better with their content for certain things on the igcsc so don't feel that you have to be restricted to the edXL gcse there's science videos the is it cognito that come yep. up um they're pretty good i've used those for some chemistry and and physics um but um and oak academy used to have some some pretty good practice for for certain exam uh, for certain formulas so you could pick up say the speed formula and then they'd give you a few questions and they extend it so you could see how something might be asked a little bit harder um, but I have heard that some of those science resources have gone. I haven't checked them for a while, so I'm not sure. Um, you might need to check those. Um, 
I don't think the physics resources out there are brilliant. Um, you know, there's there's not there's not a great deal of you know of a go-to place where there's lots of things in one area that's all free. I think um, it's something that does need to to get a little bit better. I know that we used a YouTube channel called Physics with Keith that was quite popular with us and also Science with Hazel. I think they were both quite helpful YouTube channels. But for those, I know that science tutors are massively in demand and oversubscribed. But for those of our listeners who might want to get in contact with you, Claire, and might want to sort of follow up on having tuition with you, could you let us know your social media links, your website link, that kind of thing, so any of our listeners could get in touch if they wanted to? Yeah, um, my Facebook is probably the easiest one, which is Miss Johnson Tutor. Um, And then I've got the the link tree on there that kind of shows you to everything else and um and you can get in touch there um yeah so that's that's probably the the easiest one I am on Instagram as well but nobody seems to go on Instagram for for that I don't know if it's going to be emerging at some point but no it tends to be the Facebook groups and things I think um I do tend to 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 kind of be there on the home ed offering advice on science quite a lot so I think a lot of people probably see me as Miss Johnson tutor yeah and Claire will be on our Facebook group um that is linked to this podcast where we'll put any links up that we mentioned and also links to Claire's tutoring so Claire thank you so much for coming on today and guiding us through the world of physics um (laughs) I know that yeah I know that I'm not a I'm not great with science but my my son loves science so it's he's forced me out of my comfort zone when it comes to sciences <laughs> but you've that's you, you've given us some really good uh practical information about the exams but also some really good advice about how to tackle the actual papers and the sort of things that they're looking for and how to revise and how to study for it so thank you so much Claire it's been great having you on the podcast today thank you ever so much for having me Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day.